Welcome to another episode of UBS Road to the Election and Election Watch series. Joining me in the studio today is Libby Cantrell, the head of public policy for PIMCO. Libby, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for coming in. So happy to be here. Thank you so yeah, much. Good to see you. So let's get into it. Um, as we're preparing, obviously, for the election in November, there's a lot that we can talk about today. The first thing I want to maybe go about with you is what are some of the bigger initiatives that you see people are going to be voting on as they go into the polls? And what does the campaign trail look like when it was initiatives, policy, things like that? Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, I think it just should just be said that President Biden will be the nominee for the Democratic Party and President Trump will very likely be the nominee for the Republican Party. We've had a lot of clients ask, will M Michelle Obama or Jamie Dimon come in at the last minute? And no, sorry, right. yes, sorry to, to be the bearer of bad news, uh, and, and if, depending on what your, your politics are. Um, so, you know, in terms of what to look out for, what are sort of the dynamics over the next few months uh, that investors should look, at, look out for? One is, I would say, ignore polling at this point. Polling is actually has very high margins of error this early out. A lot yeah. of folks are really not thinking about the. We're talking about the election, but a lot of people are not. They're trying to ignore it as long as they can. So polling doesn't really become predictive until sort of the September, October time frame. And it's proven to be wrong in the past as well. It is definitely more art than science in many ways because, of course, polling does not predict who actually turns out to vote. And so, um, so it is. It already has a margin of error regardless, but it's 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 really imperfect at this right. point. So that's one thing just to keep in mind. Um, a couple other things. One is, is, does a third party candidate emerge who's really credible? And Anthony, I say credible because, you know, you and I could declare that we're running for president, sure. but in terms of actually getting on the ballot, in terms of actually being competitive, you need to have ballot access. You need to have lots of resources. You need to have lots of infrastructure. And there are very few candidates who I think could have that. One thing to watch out for is whether the No Labels Party, which is a unity party, they would uh, have a unity ticket, a Republican and a Democrat, they're already on ballots. So it's really just a question of actually running a ticket and that we should know in the next few weeks. So that's also something for folks to, to look out for. And then I would just say a couple of issues that are live for the president, for President Biden, that could be either helpful or hurtful. Yeah. One thing that could be helpful is if does inflation continue to come down, to continue to soften, and particularly around food prices. This is something, you know, food prices have increased by an average of around 20% since Biden became inaugurated. This has been a huge headwind for him in terms of his popularity around the economy. So does that actually you know, come down? And then what is the southern border looking like? That is a huge political liability for the president. Is he able to, you know, at least try to get out in front of it or at least stop, you know, being so much on the defensive? Right. So those gonna, are sort of issues that are yet yeah, live. Yeah, exactly. And we'll get into what a potential Biden yeah. 2.0, Trump 2.0 presidency looks like, especially with border control. But um, with regards to Congress, obviously there's a lot of, you know, seats that are coming up for re-election, a lot of... Um, uh, congressmen and women are retiring this year. Yes. So yeah. potentially speaking, what does the makeup of Congress look like after this election? Yeah, maybe just as a reminder to folks. So in the House, 435 members, all of them are up for all of those seats are up for re-election. Because they're up every two years they're for re-election. They're up every two years, right. In the Senate, 100 members of the Senate, but only a third of the members are up every two years. Right. So this year, this cycle, it's 34 uh, senators who are up for re-election. Of those 34, 
Democrats are defending 23 seats. So what they're kind of in political speak, their map is very bad. Of those 23 seats, 10 are in and are in states that are either quite red, like West Virginia and Montana, or purplish. So the, the, the Democrats go into the election cycle as it relates to the Senate really on their back foot. Right now, Democrats control the Senate by one seat. I think we would find it hard pressed for Democrats to, to, to continue that control. So right. likely the Senate flips to Republican control. Now, interestingly, sort of a similar dynamic in the House where Republicans are defending many more vulnerable districts, many districts that Biden won, 17, in fact, uh, that, that Republicans are defending. So in many ways, the, Demo the Republicans will play, be playing defense in the House. So we would not be surprised if you actually saw a Republican Senate, so the Senate flipping from Democrat to Republican control, and then the House, Republican House, flipping to Democratic control. So exactly the opposite. And that's, actually, it, that's and very unusual, and very unusual. It is, I, I would say at this point, it is very early on still. Of so course. I want to caveat and qualify, um, but it would be our base case that you would actually see both chambers flipping. Now, I think the last thing I would just say, Anthony, is that even in that case, either party who controls the House or the Senate are going to have very narrow majorities. And so that actually could be good for, for the country because it means that there's actually an incentive to compromise, or it could be very bad and there's just gridlock and yeah. you know, things like the debt ceiling and government funding well, become much more difficult. Here's an interesting question for you, Libby, because Tom Suozzi was running in New York's 3rd Congressional District when George Santos was unseated, um, and Santos being a Republican, Suozzi being a Democrat, he won. 54% of the vote, which, you know, these days, that's a lot. It's a lot. Does that give any indication that perhaps we don't quite know where voters' minds are? Or was it expected because that has been a Democratic district before? Right, exactly. And, of course, Tom Suozzi had that district before. He so did. he had very high name recognition and what have you. And so he had a lot of advantages. I would say you don't want to put too much uh, stock in one special election. But if you actually look at the special elections over the last year, what you see is that Democrats have been outperforming those special elections at both the state and the federal level by an average of 11 points. Now, again, lots can change, but I think that's one of the reasons why folks, including myself, think that there is a chance that Democrats are able to flip the House from Republican control to Democratic control right. if that trend continues. And actually, if you look at the data, and of course, PIMCO, like UBS, we're all kind of you know, data nerds. Um, if you look at kind of regression analysis, um, how the one party has done in a special in special elections leading up to the general election, it can actually be predictive of the House vote in particular. That's right. the same case with Republicans as it is Democrats. So again, it, we will we'll see it passes prologue, but if it is, then Democrats have a good chance of taking back the House. Yeah, obviously, like you said, we keep putting the caveat out there that it's yes. a long way to November. Long way. Lots and a lot can, can change, change. As, we, yes, as we right. all know. That's yeah. right. So as we're thinking about November, a lot of people, especially our clients, I'm sure yours too, are thinking about the bigger legislative action that may or may not take place. We've got the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We've got a lot of these um, policies that are going to be sunsetting at yep. the end of 2025 when it comes to estate tax uh, contributions. What do you think are going to be some of the main initiatives that people are going to be looking at and what Congress is going to have to focus on? Yeah, so there'll be two big inflection points for Congress right when they get you know into Washington in the new Congress in 2025. One will be the debt ceiling. So remember that the debt ceiling deal from last year, which actually was able to be increased without much market volatility, that extends the debt ceiling increase to, to January of 2025 with extraordinary measures, probably mm -hmm. spring. So spring 2025, we'll have to have this new Congress with a, whomever the president is uh, raise the debt ceiling somehow. 
We'll see how volatile that is. And that will really depend on who's in the White House and the composition of Congress. Then, as you point out, at the end of 2025, all of the personal tax cuts under the Trump Tax Cuts and Jobs Act all expire. Mm -hmm. So that means the higher, the, the lower uh, income brackets for, for, for everybody, um, the estate tax exemptions, uh, the self deduction actually would come back in 2026. Good news for New Yorkers. For people in New York and California. If Congress doesn't do anything, they probably will do something. That's right. So that will be a yet another inflection point. If Congress doesn't do anything, it's a $4 trillion tax hike on the entire country. So that's not viable. Um, and it I, seems I, like they're going to have to they, act, they right? They will do something. And a lot of this, again, will depend on who's, who's in the White House and right. who's in Congress. I'll just say sort of as a you know, cliff notes here, if Trump is in the White House with a unified Republican Congress, all of the Trump tax cuts will be extended and will not be paid for. But if Biden is in the White House and say Democrats, which are not not, not likely to happen, have has, have control of both of both chambers, then probably half of the Trump tax cuts are expired. So I would say the range of possibilities are sort of half of them mm. versus all of them. I think that not doing anything is a non a political non-starter. Uh, exactly, and and certainly something that I think people will think about when they're going to the polls in November. And like you said, no matter who wins each chamber it's gonna be a slim majority. So it'll be right to the 11th hour, most likely at midnight, they'll you know, have to get together and figure out what they're gonna to do to pass a law, change legislation. So it's gonna be a nail biter no matter how we look at it. I think. Exactly, and I do think that increases the volatility. Right. With not one party having a, a, a large cushion, a large majority, it means that votes are gonna be hard to come, fight, come by, unifying that their conferences will be difficult and we'll see more volatility like we've seen over the last few months. Right, exactly, and hell, telling our investors you know, out there just stay patient and stay calm and stay and invested. The noise. Ignore the noise. Avoid yeah. the noise. Yeah. All right, last thing I want to get with you is we've already t teased this a little bit, but Trump 2.0, if he wins, uh, Biden 2.0, if he gets reelected. Obviously, things on the ballot are the Affordable Care Act, and you know, on the Biden side, it's this you know, um, immigration reform. Yeah. What does an each 2.0 presidency look like? So I would say, um, and distilled in, you know, in a minute, yeah. uh, if you're thinking about sectors under Trump, um, traditional energy will benefit. He will roll back all of the things that in terms of making it harder at the federal level to drill in federal lands, the pause on LNG exports and what have you, he, Trump will roll back that back day one, most likely. So traditional energy will likely benefit mm -hmm. under, under Trump. Um, defense will also benefit uh, because he is going, he's already said, he is going to have the most magnificent Pentagon budget ever. Uh, and I think we have to take him seriously on that. Um, but then also some sectors that have been highly regulated under Biden uh, that will also be rolled back, like financial services. So banks will likely do you know, well uh, in particular. Multinationals under Trump probably will do less well just because he, you know, he has already said that he wants to impose tariffs. He wants to make it more difficult for mm -hmm. U.S. companies operating overseas and shipping things overseas and, and certainly importing things. So um, I think that multinational companies will do less well under, under Trump. Now, under Biden, renewable energy will do well in that it will be all the Inflation Reduction Act will be totally preserved. There will be no risk for right. any sort of the Roll back. Now, I will just say one thing, Anthony. I actually don't think the Inflation Reduction Act, even under Trump, is really all that vulnerable. We may see some tweaks to the EV credits and what have you, but in terms of a total rollback, I think that's unlikely under even a Trump presidency. But under Biden, we know that that will be completely saved. 
Um, then defense also will likely do well. So I think defense is sort of the big winner under both. Uh, and then things like hospitals and other health care, where we know that the Affordable Care Act will also be preserved. So in some ways, it will be less about what Biden will do versus what he will not do, which mm. is he won't roll back the IRA or, or the Affordable Care Act. Right. Terrific. Libby, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, there's a lot to unpack when we're talking about an election that's months away. We could be here all day. We could be. We could be. And you might have to come back <laughs> yeah, again as things as change so on the campaign trail. Yes, very important to us. Yeah, thank you yes, so much. And thank you for everything, Libby. Good to see you. Thank you so much. Libby Appreciate Cantrell, it. head of public policy from PIMCO. And that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. For more on the 2024 election, please visit UBS.com forward slash election watch. The UBS Road to the Election video series is there, plus lots of other content from the Chief Investment Office. And also, we encourage you to continue this conversation with your financial advisor. From New York City, I'm Anthony Pastore. Have a great day, everyone. See you soon. Thank you.